Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Rob Weaver, the Technical Editor-in-Chief. Today I'm joined by James Costley-White, the editor of Mountain Biking UK magazine. Hi James. Hi Rob. Uh, also Will Soph, uh, the staff writer on the mag. Hi Rob, nice to be here. Uh, Aoife Glass, who is now a freelance writer, uh, marketing strategist, is that right? Is that what, Digital is, strategist, is that... marketing manager. Digi- right, okay, there we go. Oh my God, it, so many titles. There you go. Nice to meet you Rob. And Oh, yeah, nice to see you. Thank you for coming. Uh, and Steve Baer, the legendary photographer. Hi, Steve. Hi, Rob. Um, so we've gathered here today to talk about Mountain Biking UK's 400th issue, which is some feat in itself. But more importantly, at the heart of that issue is the hero feature, where we've selected 50 of the most inspiring and entertaining riders of all time. Now, James, maybe you could give us a bit more depth on this. So what the feature's about and how we went about selecting those riders. Yeah, sure. So we had our 30th anniversary uh, just three years ago. So I didn't want to go too over the top with issue 400, but obviously it's quite a milestone, something that's definitely worth celebrating. Um, and also the 30th anniversary was a bit of a retro fest, sort of looking back at all the years of the mag and some of the classic features we've done, that sort of thing. So I thought this time would be quite nice to kind of honour some of the people who've who've made the mag and the sport what it is, really. Um, so I started talking to Steve and a couple of other guys about this several months ago now. Um, and then the whole thing really started when I put some posts on Instagram and Facebook asking the readers to nominate their heroes. Um, that really took off. We got something in the region of 500 comments, um, off the back of which we got about 118 nominations. Um, I mean, some of those were just readers mates and that sort of thing but um a fair few of them were decent yeah um we had the criteria that it of the criteria and it had to be uh someone you have a poster of on your wall because otherwise there were just too many people sort of within the industry or fans of the sport and it really just got out of hand but yeah we had about 118 sort of relevant nominations from that then we asked our own staff to nominate people because there were some some key people missing from that list and that was 182 people in all um which obviously it's quite tricky to whittle down. I mean, we worked out that about 50 was right for the cover and for the feature. Any more than that would just be too many. Uh, so it was it was quite tricky. Um, we knew that certain people had to be there, you know, the likes of Steve Peake, Rachel Assington, Hans Ray, Martin Ashton, uh, Jason McCroy, of course, and Tracy Mosley, just because they had such a big impact, especially in the UK. And then, you know, obviously, Tom Peacock won the Olympics. I mean, couldn't really leave him out. Uh, same with Eva Richards and the World Champs. Um, she'd already been, you know, on our list anyway. Um, but yeah, after those really, really obvious people, we had quite a tough job trying to work out who else to include. Well, it was a hell of a list, wasn't it? And I think it it ended up with um, Will, you and me sitting on a conversation that was supposed to take about half an hour. And I think we went on for about two and a half hours or something in the end, just trying to, I think... He, each of us had reasoning as to why every single person deserved to be in there. So it was pretty cutthroat in the end, I think. That that conversation, like I just, I there was so much passion in it about why people were our heroes and so many people we wanted to include. And like, 
yeah, just the, like the passion and the feeling behind all these people that we had upon our walls really came across. And um, it was so hard. Like, you know, we'd have loved to have a list containing so many more people, but yeah, you've, you've got to draw the line somewhere. And I think the other thing was, you know, we're all kind of big fans of, of racing, you know, sort of downhill in particular, going back to the 90s. Um, but MUK's always been about a lot more than that. We didn't just want it to be a list of world champs. We wanted to cover all kinds of disciplines, all kinds of eras of the sport. And so with a focus on UK riders, but also that, you know, there's a lot of people from overseas who've really resonated with mountain bikers in the UK. You know, people like Sam Hill, um, Nico Brio and Anne Caro, you know, people like that. So we didn't just want, sorry, didn't want it to just be a UK list. Um, and we also, like Rob says, it was about personalities as well. We didn't just want winners. We wanted people who've, who've sort of helped shape the sport with the way they've acted and the way they've behaved. And also people who've left a real legacy and are still involved with the sport, you know, maybe 20 years after they've had their biggest success on the track. Um, and I think, I think the final list is, is pretty good. I mean, the, the sport's male-dominated past does mean that we didn't include as many women as I'd have liked, which is a shame. And there are certain riders I do feel a bit guilty about not including, you know, there's sort of MBK stalwarts like Martin Hawes and Mark Beaumont, Helen Mortimer, Will London, and more recently Matt Jones. But then I think that just shows how tough the competition for a place was. Um, and yeah, if we were to do a list of current heroes, then I think the gender split would be much closer to 50-50, which does show how things have sort of improved for the better in the last few years. But yeah, I think, I think looking at that list of 50 on my cover, I think it's hard to argue that any of them don't deserve a place on there and it was a it was a group of people that wrote this feature wasn't it it wasn't just one person yeah that's right we came up with the list and then uh sort of tried to think of the best people to write it so obviously um steve bear who's in on this conversation um had been involved with the magazine at the start and we wanted to get him to write about you know some of the writers he'd worked with back in the day uh steve thomas is another photographer um who worked with us in the early days and he was very helpful um over in Canada, Malcolm McClaws, another photographer, contributed. And then, obviously, Aoife, we asked to get involved. And Ed Thompson, another freelancer who uh, used to work for us and our staff. And then Will and I did some as well. Great. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about who actually made that shortlist. So, Aoife, maybe you could sort of run through some of your hot picks, who you who you know, who you know wrote about and, and why you think they deserve to be there. I mean, there are some incredible women on that list. And as you said, there are like many incredible women that didn't make it that hopefully we tried to sort of get a bit of a mention in there. But um, I mean, I'm currently up in, in Scotland at Peebles um, for the EWS and I cannot start this off without mentioning Katie Winton, who if we're talking about sort of the more modern end of, of mountain biking has been someone that whose career I've followed, whose racing I've loved watching. Um, she sort of worked her way up through... Um, through Enduro, she sort of got sponsored. And then one of the things that's been really interesting in her story recently is the fact that she's been sharing what it's like to ride now as a privateer. So having got to the, the, so the giddy heights of top five at the EWS, to then um, lose your title sponsorship and then talk about um, being really honest and open about talking about what it's actually like as a racer, like the gritty truth of what you have to do, the sacrifices you have to make, the effort you have to put in, the training you have to do. And then from her perspective, having to organise all of that herself is just incredible. So I've really, I've I found it really eye-opening listening to her talk. 
But then you've also got sort of on the other end of the spectrum, like Rachel Atherton. I mean, you can't talk about mountain biking in the UK without talking about Rachel Atherton. And I mean, what, what a legend she is. Like, she was the racer that I first knew about when I got into mountain biking. She was the, the woman who... Um, won pretty much every downhill race she entered. I mean, I was just looking at some of the the stats, like, was it six World Cup overalls, five World Championships titles, 2016 Perfect Year won every race she was in, um, 2005 Young Sportswoman of the Year. Like, if you're talking about a woman who's inspired other women in the sport, Rachel, particularly of, of, of sort of my generation and the women who are getting into it in the last 10 years, Rachel Atherton... Is, is the woman that, it, that did it, that had, had that kind of impact. And also, it's interesting, not just at that elite level, not just from racing, although she's inspiring to rate, to watch um, and to follow her, her, her in action, but also things like the Fox Hunt um, events that she led. So Fox Hunt um, was a, a Red Bull event that um, was like a sort of a reverse race. So it's kind of anyone could enter and you know, all the riders set off down a hill and Rachel Atherton hunted them down and overtook them. And there was a men's fox hunt and a women's fox hunt. And that ran for five years. And going to those events, you met women, I mean, huge numbers of women participating. And you could see it grow year on year. The events would sell out Mm -hmm. as more and more women got into mountain biking. And they were encouraged in because of that event, because of Rachel. Um, And they met each other. They formed communities that grew. And you had riders who would who were winning coming out of that, like so. Bex Barona won in twenty fifteen up in Scotland, and you know that kind of the coverage that you get from that hopefully helped her in her career in terms of. I mean, she was already an amazing rider, but just to get that additional coverage that you got from from participating in that event and winning it um, helped her in her career hopefully. Um, so yeah, so they that she. I mean, Katie and Rachel are two riders that I have a huge amount of respect for and um I get a little bit um what do what do you call it a little bit like I'd fangirl if I got to meet them much every time I meet them I'm like oh my god you're so cool a bit starstruck yeah starstruck is the word (laughs) yeah nice that's cool though it just goes to show sort of how how much impact they've had and how inspiring they can be which is really cool And if I wanted to sort of go back further, so like I guess in contrast to a lot of you guys, like I got into mountain biking quite late. Um, So I I didn't, I didn't even know there was such a thing as mountain biking until my late 20s. And um, it was my partner that got me into it. And he'd been mountain biking since the 90s. And I remember him telling me all these stories of these legendary riders um, like John Tomac and Julie Furtado. And I was so happy to see that Julie Furtado is also on the list. Um, and she was the first pro mountain biker that I ever talked to in a professional capacity in my my mountain biking journalistic career. I was at the 2014 um, uh, World Cup up in Scotland in Fort William, and um, I was just about to start this new job on this brand new website called Total Women's Cycling, and my partner had told me about Julie Furtado, and she was there. She was there because of... Um, uh, the launch of Juliana Bicycle Sister Company to Santa Cruz. And um, I really shyly went up to her and said, 
oh, you know, would you mind if I, <laughs> would you mind if I interviewed you for, for work? And um, it was incredible to, to like sort of talk to her about her career and, and the struggles that she faced as well. Um, and I think if you're talking about an impact, um, another, you know, another person who's had a huge amount of impact on mountain biking in general, but also perhaps maybe looking more closely at women's mountain biking, Julie Furtado is, you know, very deserving of her place on there. She won the inaugural Mountain Biking World Cup champs. The um, She won the downhill Mountain Biking World Cup uh, World Champs two years later. So downhill and XC, hugely winning racer. Um, and then I, and all of this was what I, I learned through talking to her and then through um, talking to my partner. She then went for the Atlanta Olympics and came seventh, which doesn't sound amazing until you realise that she was suffering from undiagnosed lupus at the time. So to be fighting against, I mean, your own body fighting against you as you're competing to that high level, and then to come seventh in the Olympics is incredible. Um, and then after her retirement, setting up a company to develop a women-specific mountain bike and women-specific mountain biking parts, which then got bought by Santa Cruz... Um, so they launched the, you know, their women-specific bike, the Santa Cruz Juliana. And then further down the line, that turns into Juliana Bicycles. And so the first brand new mountain bike that I ever bought, which may have been in a small part influenced by that interview, was the Juliana Furtado. And it's, that, so that that's kind of one of the ways that some of the, the women who have been in this sport from the beginning have influenced and helped bring more women into it the whole way through, whether that's at the pro level, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about Tracy Mosley a bit more at some point, because if we're talking about bringing more women in the highest level into the sport, you can't not mention Tracy Mosley. But even at the grassroots level, sort of providing opportunity, providing the chance to meet each other, growing the community, giving us the tools that we need to, to develop that section of mountain biking. Brilliant. Thank you for that. That was, that was really insightful. Thanks. So, Maybe we should talk to Steve now, because Steve, you've been involved with MBUK. Well, we were chatting before this. You reckon out of the 400, you've, you've had pictures in probably 398 of them. Um, so there's no one better to really talk about some of those heroes from the 90s. But also, I mean, you know Tracy Mosley incredibly well. You've known her since she sort of first set out, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've known Tracy since she was a, a very young girl and brought to events by her parents and following her brother around to to local events. And um, yeah, she's she's her development's been amazing, actually, the way she's come through from a very young, you know, amateur rider to the top of the profession. And, and not only in downhill, which she was best known for, probably, but also, you know, doing switching first to cross country from down here, which is a, a heck of a thing. I can't think of many others who've done that. Tomac, maybe. Um, and, um, you know, then EWS as well, Enduro. Uh, being world champion in, in both downhill and Enduro is incredible, really. Well, and she it wasn't like she sort of dabbled. She properly dominated, didn't she? She properly yeah. dominated. I mean, okay, she didn't dominate cross country, but she rode a World, world Cup at least... At least a couple of World Cups in cross country. Yeah, and, she did a few. You know, wasn't she? wasn't wasn't last. Yeah. You know, yeah, which is which is a heck of an achievement 
in in this day and age, I think back in the day when everybody rode the same bike for for everything, it was less of a thing to do downhill and cross country. And as Eva mentioned, she it's it's not just the racing for her, is it? She's always really pushed that grassroots thing. She's you know she's helped out the yeah, likes absolutely. of Evie Richards and um, who else has she worked with? She's well, she's currently working with uh, the Carrick Andersons. I think they're on team yep, racing yeah, at the minute. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Jaden Randall as well, who's uh, up and coming in the under twenty-one EWS. Yeah, I mean, she, as you say, she set up her own Timo racing thing and, and been a mentor to to a lot of incredible talent. Actually, she's good at spotting talent locally and you know UK wide, and and working and mentoring all of them. So easily, easily worthy of. Uh, getting into our easily top worthy of a list yeah. place on the listing yeah totally who else did you want to it would have been a travesty oh, it would have been a travesty to miss tracy oh actually. yeah, yeah totally. absolutely who else did you want to talk about then steve um well you know interestingly a lot of my time at mbuk has been not doing racing as much as doing features um and a lot of the features we've done have, have given us a free reign to do all kinds of mountain biking as opposed to pure racing um, and therefore I get to work with people who are absolutely at the top of their field, but not necessarily getting the publicity because they're not racers. And um, one, one, of the, one of those who does get the publicity and, and was probably the most famous mountain biker in the world at one point was Hans Ray and, and, and still is right up there. And I don't think you can talk about mountain biking at all without mentioning Hans Ray. And, you know, he totally deserves his place on the, on the listing. Yeah, he's an absolute legend. I remember meeting him for the first time. I was at some Red Bull downhill event. We'd been invited to go and compete in, and Hans was there, and neither of us made it through. So I think we got drunk in the bar. I was like a giddy teenager. I couldn't believe I was sat next to Hans Ray, sharing drinks with him, playing darts. And then uh, I think we went on a shoot on the it was the, the little castle, uh, on Loch Ness and I got I got to watch uh, it was uh, me and a, a friend of mine and then um, I think Jeff Wall was taking the photos that day and watch hands hopping around doing his thing and it was yeah it was amazing proper dream come true and and the thing is although he started with you know he had a trials background obviously growing up doing trials and competing and that's how he ended up going to the States uh, and that's where he first became famous but he's he's not a trials mountain biker in the purest sense. He's he's an he's a mountain biker, basically. He's he he'll ride everything and anything, and and you know has always been at the forefront of the free ride movement and the flow trail movement and and all of the the fun stuff really. And I I always remember like uh, in tricks and stunts and chain spotting, like back in the day before you had YouTube tutorials and coaching and things like that. Hans Ray talking about the chocolate foot and giving these different bits yeah, of advice yeah, exactly. that like would really yeah. bring along young riders and give you like things you could work on like that was really useful for for me and my friends back in the day. Absolutely, and he was at the forefront of the whole video thing too. I mean, he he started doing videos before it was before anybody else was doing them. Really, do you remember the one with the with the chimpanzee? Monkey see, monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. And what exactly. about tread? Does anyone remember tread? Yeah. 
tread. Greg Hervold, that thing was amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What a video. I mean, that was that was right out front of every, of all the other stuff that's followed since yeah. then, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's still going strong, really. And he's still yeah. doing it, and he's still doing his adventure trips and, you know, traveling around and he's here regularly yeah you and i bumped into him at the malvern classic steve that's right we did and he did the, he did the lake ride too mm-hmm. which you know fair play fair yeah. play and the dual slalom and the dual slalom exactly didn't do too well though did he well <laughs> <laughs> well he definitely did well on the lake ride that's for sure yeah yeah well nobody did that well against Will in the dual slalom to be yeah, fair well smoked everyone well done well <laughs> Cheers, Ron. Thank you. It was pretty close against Aiden, though, when he got in. Oh, he nice. was fast. Christ, his gait was amazing. He's another one from back in the day. Just to get off your list for a second, I mean, he used to he used to be one of my stalwart bike testing crash test dummies before you, Rob. No, I used to ride with Aiden. I used to come with. Did you ride Aiden with Aiden and yeah, James okay. Alloway yeah, yeah. and all those guys? And James Alloway yeah. and Stefan yeah. Gleed. Yeah. yeah, that was the that was the crew back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, they say. used to sell me broken bike parts. Yeah. so Aidan qualified first in the duel and I qualified second and uh, Steve introduced us and said about what uh, Aidan's job was back in the day and that it was you know not a million miles away from what I'm doing now so it's a bit of a passing of the torch moment there almost yeah it's cool Uh, and it's great to see him still going strong too yeah with no slouch and I guess while we're talking about that particular generation it's probably apt that we move on to someone like Jason McCroy, who you knew pretty well, Steve. Yeah, I did. I mean, it was it was incredibly sad that uh, Jason's passing, but I mean, he was he was the for, forerunner and the, the pathfinder for for all those guys that followed. You know, Steve and Rob and and Will and and everybody after that. He he was there in the early days of MBUK. Actually, talking about the MBUK connection, he rode for Team MBUK. Yeah, when it was salsa bikes, right. Yeah, and um, he, I think he was. I think it was the same time as Dave Hemming was on the team. He was another one. Obviously, didn't make the list, but you know, in the early days of MBUK, you couldn't open a magazine without seeing Dave Hemming. And there was, there was, and he was an incredible rider. Dave it still is actually, um, very talented rider. I think he did the dual slalom too at the, at the Melbourne's. Um, Sorry, James. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, for me, um, Jason was <clears throat> the big teenage hero. You know, I remember seeing him in the mag. I think he was in the Hardesty Cycles kit at that point, which I guess was the year after he was on the MUK team. And he just he That's just looked right, so yeah. aggressive and so full on, you know. And this was kind of, I was into kind of grunge and punk and stuff at the time. And he just seemed like an extension of that because he had the long hair and the tattoos and he looked really cool. <clears throat> and then the Dirt movie came out, which Steve was involved in. And that, for me, was just like, yeah, this is the sport I want to be involved in. These are people like me. And, you know, we used to watch Dirt until the tape wore out pretty much because this was in the days of VHS. And my mates and I, before every ride, that was our ritual. We'd watch Dirt and then head out on the bikes. His sections were always the coolest, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, always, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was an incredible few days of filming that. That That was an iconic piece of work, that, from Pete Tompkins. Who was mentoring all those guys actually at the time? And dad of, uh, it was an incredible time. Dad of uh, Jamie Tompkins from Team MBA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, just, just to go back to Hans, like, correct me if I'm wrong and, and expand on this if you can, but like, for me, it was really inspiring where there were a lot of pro riders who seemed to have like 
a full-on program behind them and a lot of perhaps sponsorship money and support living in places with ski lift access in the Alps or in the mountains in America. And here's this guy who's like just training at his local BMX track with his dad and then going out to America and like just dominating the kamikaze and things like that. It was like a real story of like someone who perhaps didn't have as much as as much support. Yeah, I mean, that was the full privateer dream, really. I mean, Jason epitomized that because although he was on Team MB UK and then hard, I think the following year when you mentioned he was on Hardesty and the Hardesty kit, um, I think that was just a bikes and kit only deal. There was no financial support. There was It was just just bikes, basically, or probably a bike. Um, and I think Jim, his dad, um, quit his job and they took off to the States and, and, and gave it a full-on go as privateers. And, you know, it was his total ability on the bike that earned him the money to go on to the next event uh, and allowed them to carry on traveling and, and eventually get that specialized deal, which proved so groundbreaking, really. Yeah, and to be to be beating guys like Miles Rockwell, Mike King, like these absolute heavyweights, American international heavyweights, was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and as you said before, he always, as James remarked earlier, he looked so class on a bike, but he actually was class on a bike. You know, he was he had the both the look and the and the ability. Yeah, I mean, it was always amazing to see him ride and race, and and then the like you said, how he sort of paved the way. He was the first of the upcoming UK riders to get a full factory deal on a massive team, and it sort of showed. Yeah, exactly. I guess it showed the likes of PT and Warner, that it was possible. Absolutely. That's exactly what paved the way for those guys. I mean, it's just a shame that he had so many injuries uh, that curtailed his specialised career, really. And then, obviously, it was cut short by his very untimely and unfortunate death um, in 95. But, yeah, it totally paved the way for for PT and Warner and, and those guys that followed. Well, um are there any standouts for you within that top 50? I know uh, you and I were both part of that original conversation with James where we sort of properly had to thrash out the details and work out who was allowed in and who wasn't. But what or who who really stands out for you that we haven't actually already talked about yet? Well, I mean, there's there's loads for me. Like I could I could talk for hours on on any of the riders from the list, but so I think I got to just take it back to like who were my my personal heroes. Like when I was young and I was starting out riding um, before I started working for MBUK. So um, for me, I, I remember vividly uh, being in the sixth form common room and watching videos of of Danny Mac when he was on Inspired and just seeing this guy who just really changed trials riding. Um, in a way that he started combining more BMX tricks. He took something like Ryan Leach's style in the manifesto where he didn't hop and then just did things that were so much bigger and burlier than everyone else and just really having our minds blown. And then watching him progress from being sort of a niche trials rider who worked in a bike shop in Scotland to one of the most famous cyclists in the world has been absolutely incredible. So... Yeah, he's definitely one of my heroes. Yeah, very deservedly, absolutely. I mean, and you can draw that line from Hans through Martin and Martin um, and, and Chris Ackrig and, as you say, Ryan Leach. 
um, straight through to Danny and, and he, you know, grabbed the ball and ran with it in a big way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, yeah, he's he's definitely up there for his, his technical skill and ability and he's like a really nice, humble guy as well on top of that. Um, for me, I, I got really into downhill. So all of the sort of flat pedals, slightly larry downhillers were very inspiring to me uh, when I was growing up. So, yeah, Brendan... Um, Chris Kavarik, um, obviously Sam Hill, I'd probably say is my ultimate hero. Like just watching all these guys foot out, flat out drifting, putting time into the guys who were perhaps stronger on the pedley sections by just being being braver and having more technical skill and more balls on some tracks. Like that was really inspiring, definitely. I remember when we had that chat, you always um, were quite uh, keen on some of the free ride guys as well. Yeah, I was. I was. I've been a big fan of Rampage. I loved always watching like the slope style. So Le Condigui would definitely be one for me, like seemed to extend his tricks further than everyone else. You know, his flat spin 360s were flatter than everyone. He started doing massive, massive jumps off like motocross kickers before the Fest series started and popularized that kind of riding. So yeah, him, him and his brother Luis were always people I wanted to watch their video sections on New World Disorder, like I'd always be keen for that to to flick around on the DVD menu. Yeah. And 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 what about the likes of uh, Brandon Semenek? Oh, uh, yeah, like amazing clinical style. Like I've been lucky enough to go and watch uh, Joyride in Whistler, which is the what they used to call the freeride slope style competition. Um, and yeah, to watch Semenek just sort of stomp every trick, like wheels pointing in the right direction, pedals level, it was almost gymnastic the way he had this like ability to just like just just aerial awareness and like control of the bike that just it sort of defied belief. It was like watching like a robot or a computer. It was just so precise and perfect every time. I mean, yeah, you only need to watch one or two of his more recent videos to get some kind of idea, even if you know nothing about bikes you watch one of those, it takes you, what, two minutes and you'll see just in how incredible a rider he is. Yeah, yeah. Just just like, he was, he was always innovating as well. That's the thing. It wasn't just that he took what everyone else did and did it more smoothly and more perfectly. He actually was innovating as well, doing things no one had ever done. So like from one of his recent edits, the, the tail whip to manual to flat drop backflip, I mean, that's just phenomenally technical and groundbreaking as well. Lovely. Thanks, Will. Um, James, for you, were there any real standouts that, well, like you said, you know, the, the whole criteria originally was you had to have a poster on your wall, right? So it, are there any in there that you actually had posters of? Yeah. So um, I definitely had posters of Jason on, on the wall, um, of John Tomac. I'm pretty sure I had Rob Warner and Will Logden out there at some point as well. Um, I guess for me, it's kind of in eras, you know, for me, the nineties were the era of Jason and Martin Ashton. And then the 2000s, it was kind of Sam Hill and Steve Pete, who I can't believe no one's mentioned yet. Um, you know, in terms of UK mountain bike heroes, he's the one, really. You know, I was there at Fort William when he won the World Cup there, and the reaction from the crowd was incredible. The whole place just erupted. And then when he finally got his World Champs win a couple of years later, you know, again, he, for me, he's just the icon of, of UK mountain biking. I mean, that, Rachel Afton is to an extent, but I think CP eclipses even her just in terms of the number of 
people he's inspired over the years you know, and the way he kind of led the way for British riders. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, I think no one's mentioned him because he, it's so obvious that he is exactly, in the yeah. <laughs> Well, he's, he's still there. That's the thing. Like, you, you can't be like, oh, back in the day, it used to be Pete. It's like, he's still around. He's still at World Cups, still, like, managing people. And that's kind of what I meant in terms of legacy when I said it at the start. You know, there are, there are some riders who won some World Cups and were amazing at the time, but you almost forget about them now. Whereas Pete is, you know, he's got the race results, but he's also got the personality... And he's also got the legacy in terms of helping younger riders and supporting the Sheffield scene and all this, all this stuff that just takes him beyond being just a, a good rider. And he's done it for so long. Yeah. And he's very nice with it and, you know, always has time for his fans and he's always great to talk to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess from our side of it, he's, he's like the consummate professional, isn't he? He's always keen to get involved and do stuff. And even at the height of his racing career, he'd still try and help us out when he could and yeah a, a legend in every sense of the word really he was one of the riders when I was getting into it that I, I kind of like I, I sort of felt like I had to like sit down and do my homework in like if you're going to get into mountain biking if you want to know the history of mountain biking in the UK you need to know about Steve Pete watch these videos <laughs> watch these races and see him go and then yeah as you said sort of find out like the work he's done in Sheffield um, the Steel City downhill event, all those kind of things. You're like, oh my God, this guy is... I think talking of Starstruck, I don't think I could ever muster two words in the presence of Steve Pete because I'd be like, what can I say other than, oh my God, you're Steve Pete. What about, uh, in a similar vein, what about Rob Warner? Slightly different character. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe less professional. Very different. I mean, there was a, there was a time when, when Rob and Steve were always mentioned in the same breath. Um. Uh, their career paths took very, careers took very different paths, but I, I don't think it's any less valid to have Rob in there either. I mean, Rob's iconic in the sport and and still is. You know, uh, Rob was iconic and still is. Um, he was the first winner of a, a World Cup down in in, the, in a time when, you know, if if anybody from the UK got anywhere near the top ten, it was massive news. Um, to have somebody win. Uh, which he did at Caprun in whatever year it was. I can't 96. Yeah. Well done, Rob. <laughs> um, but um, I, I think, you know, the, 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 his, his party attitude probably got, and, and various stresses got the better of him going forward, it, although he raced for a long time after that and did really well for well, many, he, many years. He was a consistent top 10 guy at World Cups. He, he, was, he, he won he was tons consistent. of the nationals. He won... He won yeah. a fair few Absolutely. national champs. He was, he is still a, an incredible rider, an incredible rider. I mean, and he's had he's, his riding's been revitalised now, but he, by his uh, Vetus uh, deal in recent years, he's you know he's out there all the time on his bike. He loves the e-bike, which goes without saying with for Rob. I, th- I think he's. But, oh, sorry, Steve. I was just going to say, I think he's a, no, still an incredible rider. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think he's another one of those riders, you know, a bit like Jason and uh, sort of Missy Jove and, and Palmer as well, Sean Palmer, who really took mountain biking away from that kind of cross-country Lycra image that dominated in the 90s and took it into a new, much cooler place where, it, you know, it was almost part of the extreme sports scene instead of being this, this cycle sport. And they definitely had a big impact. Yeah, that's a that's a very fair point, actually. I think to very good point to bring it up, like up to now, like one of the reasons that Warner is and continues to be a hero is the way that he's brought downhill to the masses. He's brought mountain biking to the masses with cross country as well. Like 
the way he commentates, he he helps explain it to people without being patronising. Like he's the he's the Murray Walker of mountain biking. He's the guy who you can turn on Rebel TV and you can watch the racing and you understand it and you can put yourself in the rider's position, how they're feeling, why they're doing what they're doing, because of the way Rob breaks it down and explains it to the audience in such an an accessible way. But also, he's a fan. He's professional, but that that. Well, he's professional now, perhaps not so much in the freecaster days, but that enthusiasm for the sport and the riding really comes across. Yeah, and it's been interesting to watch his his evolution as a, as a commentator, you know, um, from the freecaster days to to where he is now. He's really come a, a long way and put the effort in. He was he was always good at it, but he's so much more professional now and and a top broadcaster now. Really, yeah. I mean, you really have to take your hat off to him because yeah, the the level that he's he's working at really helps i think to elevate his co-presenters and push those guys on you, you when you when you listen to the the quality of those broadcasts now when he's working with tracy hannah or elliot jackson or claudio that it's so professional it's you know it's straight off almost mainstream tv you know um you only need to go back to danny hart's run in 2011 at champery when it was him and nigel page just screaming a microphone <laughs> just to yeah. see that contrast and difference you know um, yeah yeah indeed. so yeah i think fair play to rob he's 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 really sort of taken the ball by the horns and and the red ball by the horns no less and, yeah. um, <laughs> indeed but he's, he's also he's also um doing it for cross country you know he's making yeah 100 i mean the cross country is way more interesting now than it was but he's right into all sorry yeah too, i should have mentioned bart wrenchens as well yeah him and bart Exactly, him and Bart are exactly. a phenomenal, phenomenal team. Good team. Yeah, and, and Rob's clearly yeah. into it. He does his background. Yeah. There's always plenty of info on every single rider. And that does, you know, exactly. that's not th- something that just, you know, pops into your head. That's that's hard graft that goes into that. Yeah, sure is. And his YouTube channel's pretty funny. I was going to say that XC is another one that, like I, cross country is another sort of race discipline that I wasn't originally into. Like we've talked a lot about kind of um, free ride and downhill and enduro. But like like you said, sort of cross country now is absolutely gripping. Like I've never been so into cross country in my life as I have in the last three years. The technicality of the track, the the riders, obviously EV Richards. Um, but yeah, and a lot of it's to do with with the commentating, the skill and the expertise that sort of just brings you along, gives you the backstory if you didn't have it without it making it sound like, you know, oh, you should know this or this assumed knowledge. It's just like, it's absolutely gripping and very, very accessible. And those races are incredible now, aren't they? I mean, it's fair to say, especially the women's. That stuff, I mean, okay, we had a really interesting couple of years on the men's side of things. But after a long spell of Nino just dominating everything. But now, watching Evie battling for that top spot, watching her win Worlds and then a World Cup after World Cup, it was it was amazing. She, like, I think, if, I, if, if this is correct, she's the first British cross-country world champion, male or female, that we've ever had. I mean, that's pretty special and watching I think we got the first glimpse or I, I remember watching was it Nova Mesto 2020 when she crashed and then came back to win on the short track and you could see then it's like oh my goodness like 
this woman has got some power in those legs and it's only a matter of time before she, like, she gets to the top. And then this year, it's just sort of watching her, like, get closer and closer and closer and bang, there it was, world champs, and then there again, you know, Leah Gang and, and um, Snowshoe. Like, oh, it was just... And the racing being so so close and so technical, like I like, there's no way I could ride those tracks on those bicycles. That they're like you know sort of relatively short travel, and yeah, there's full suspension now, but it's minimum minimal. And um, oh yeah, just fair play to her. And I think that's again like Evie's performance. If we're talking about sort of growing the UK scene again, Evie's performance and um, Bart's and Rob. Rob's commentary and the coverage that we get now of those events, the fact that we do get so much coverage, um, such brilliant coverage, I think is going to pull more and more people into the, the cross-country side of things, which, you know, before I was always a bit like, meh, not sure about this. And now I'm like, yeah, short travel bike. <laughs> well, it, it, to be fair, it used to be quite exciting back in the day in the, in the early 90s, you know, when you had Tim Gould and David Baker and Gary Ford and Caroline Alexander doing very well on the international scene and the, the cross country was, it seemed very exciting back then, but this seemed, you know, there was quite a few years in the middle where we didn't have contenders and it, it, I think people just got less interested in it because of Well, that. I guess the, the, oh, sorry, I was just going to say the tracks got crazy long as well, didn't they? And the coverage was lacking and. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, James. I, I think the amazing thing now is it's not just Evie or Tron. You know, it's also people like Annie Lars and Isla Short and Hattie Honden, who's doing enduro and cross country. And in fact, you know, looking at, at women's racing in particular, you know, we're, we're really strong in cross country. In enduro, we've got people like um, Martha Gill and Bex Barona and Ella Connolly, all right up there as well. Um, on the free ride well, and side. And Hattie as well. Another and Hattie as well. Trace, yeah. Another Tracy Mosley protégé who exactly. she now and, sort of manages on the you team. Know, last couple of years women's free rides made leaps of bounds and again you've got people like Ella Connolly who's okay now living in New Zealand but she's a Scot um, and Vera Sandler who's the other way around from New Zealand now living in England or Wales I think. Um, yeah they're really you know everywhere every aspect of the sport we've now got a strong British female element which is incredible compared to 10-15 years ago you know when we might have one or two big name races and that was about it and that's what we need that strength in in depth that we haven't always had in the past i think actually at the moment the women's races are probably eclipsing the male races in the uk which is quite a change and a focus well, thing, yeah I think. we're coming close to the end of our time now but uh before we wrap up i just wanted to make a mention of one particular person who not everyone's going to be familiar with but i think it's probably probably worth talking about him it's mike hall the endurance cyclist. So James, maybe you could tell us why we included Mike. Yeah, he's um, obviously endurance isn't something we cover in great depth or very often in MBK, but it's one of those kind of interesting niche parts of the sport where you do get some incredible achievements. Um, and Mike, um, to be honest, we didn't really recognise his achievements until it was too late, until um, he was killed in an accident a couple of years ago. Um but he, I think the reason we included him was, you know, he did do some incredible things, but also he was held in such esteem by those who knew him, which included some really sort of key people within the UK scene. And of all the people we've included in this list, he's the one we've had the most messages about, you know, thanking us for remembering him and including him. He, he was an amazing guy, very unassuming too. 
but he's 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 had he's done some amazing things, right? I mean, you probably don't you probably you, you probably don't know this, but he actually appeared in some MBUK bike tests. Oh no, really? no, no. <laughs> back in the late nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so he was he, he was a friend of Guy Kesterman's, oh, and um, yeah. Guy used to drag him on some bike tests occasionally. So I mean, he he rode around the world in ninety two days. You know, he still holds the record for the Tour Divide, which is this nearly three thousand mile sort of race along the Rocky Mountains. And, um, yeah, if you want to get an idea of what he's like, um, there's a film called Inspired to Ride, which is a, a must-watch, really. Yeah, so he... It was very important. Yeah, absolutely. He's an incredible bike rider and, and obviously very sadly missed by everyone. Right, before we disappear, is there anyone else we need to have a quick talk about or do you think we're all done? The only person I'd quite like to mention, just because it's it, she crosses over with quite a lot of my interests... Um, is Manon Carpenter. Um, ah, she's yes. other, you know, another amazing woman within the downhill scene. Um, you know, so right up there with with Rachel, um, you know, a rider that I um, looked up to a lot. I actually met her at the Meg Avalanche one year. Quite, We had pizza together. I was, again, a bit starstruck. There's a theme here. Um, <laughs> and she was just so lovely to talk to. And, and I really sort of loved her riding style. And one of the things I wanted to, sort of just mentioned with her is it's although she's sort of retired from racing she's still riding obviously um but she shifted her emphasis now to the to the more environmental side of things and that's something that I think that I've become more aware of as a rider as well it's the fact that like it's great that we've got all these places to ride but we kind of need to look after them and that's all of our responsibility so I know that that's something that that she's working on like the trails we ride how they're built how they're looked after and how you know, so that side of riding that, you know, that enables us all to do the thing that we love to do. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what she does next, slightly different angle. Yeah, she, she definitely deserves to be in there, I think. Yeah, and, and, and a very good advocate for the, for the sport, for trail riding, for all of those things, you know. As, and, and obviously we can't forget just how dominant she was in downhill, another sort of, Another fierce competitor with Rachel and Tane and um, you know the French contingent, obviously. But um, yeah, an incredible, an incredible rider and, and, a, and a really lovely person, I think. Right then, guys. Oh, I, sorry, I, Steve. I, I know. I know. Sorry, I know we mentioned him in passing, but Martin Ashton probably deserves a, a slightly bigger mention. Yes. Yes, you're right. Just because of you know everything that he's done and achieved, and 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 how he is and who he is, just unbelievable character and the strength to come from the the knockback that he had to where he is now is, is incredible and, and definitely worth a measure I mean he was he, he paved a way for, for all the UK trials really that followed you know back I remember back in back in the early 90s our idea of trials was a few pallets and a couple of guys hopping about and and you know and a 12 inch bunny hop um, and I remember going to an event in uh, Farnham, I think it was, a national series, and they had a trials competition and he he and Horsey turned up, Martin Hawes turned up and just totally blew away all our, you know, established trials heroes of the day, (laughs) Um, having come from a proper trials background and and then took their skills to mountain biking and, and, you know, ran with it really in in a big way all through the 90s. And um, you know, led through to Danny McCaskill 
being what he is now. Well, I guess he, he went from being that sort of competitive rider to featuring heavily in the magazine for many, many years, getting involved with the video work, then creating his own, yeah, I guess he almost sort of, you know, paved his own way in the sense that he, he created the, the Animal Tour at the time. Yeah. He was doing his own trials tour, you know, bringing it to the... Yeah, and building those demo rigs. Yeah, and, and, and taking it yeah. out into the mainstream, showing the public what's possible, really sort of properly cementing his name in the in the industry and, and making, well, I, and I guess, like you said, you know, helping others see that there's more to it than just competition. A little like Hans Ray, in a sense, just a slightly sort of, I guess, a different approach to it. And, and obviously, yeah, after that nasty accident he had and how he's sort of rebuilt himself and, and, you know, now he's working at GMBN and making a real success of it and still, you know, still doing an incredible job. It's yeah. Again, another person who's more than worthy of being within that list, I think. Indeed. Right. Well, I think um, that brings us to the end of the chat, guys. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Rob. Thank, thank you. you. Rob. Uh, can I just say, this is, uh, this is issue 400 of MDK, obviously, which is in the shops now. Um, I'll get the plug complete, in. Complete with the uh, first ever uh, Mint Source comic book and a classic MDK <sighs> sticker sheet. Um, and plus all the usual sort of great testing and how-to guys and everything else. So make sure you go and buy it. There's loads of good stuff in there. Including Will winning the uh, dual slalom. Oh, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you've got to buy it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For all those Will fans out there. Um, <laughs> soon to be poster boy <laughs> right okay well thanks and everyone and for all you listeners that have stuck through this entire hour thank you so much and please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss out on any episodes right thanks everyone bye thank you for listening to the bike radar podcast if you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling check out bikeradar.com radar.com